everyone and welcome to Splatsploitation. Um, I have a bit of a different episode for you guys this week where I've invited along Judith Sonnet and Otis Bateman and we're just going to do a bit of a round table really about self-publishing. Um, we're not doing a step-by-step -step guide or how to make a million pounds or anything like that. We're just going to kind of randomly talk about a bunch of observations, tips, things that we find kind of curious about self-publishing, hopefully some stuff that can help you. Uh, it will be aimed mostly at kind of newbies or early in your career, but hopefully there'll be plenty of stuff as well for people that have been around for a while. Um, so yeah, first off, um, welcome Otis and Judith. Thanks Hi. for having me. <laughs> Knew that was going to happen. I know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Otis, hey, hey, hey. Writer, Otis is the writer of um, the Maggot Girl series, which is obviously very popular and very cool and that was his start to it all so that'd be kind of a good perception for him and judith has written a mega hit no one rides for free uh, along with about a thousand other books so she'll have <laughs> plenty to say as well thank you <laughs> thanks uh, so, Stephen. yeah so i thought to start with I'll, I'll start off with a question um one i'm curious as well as to what your answer is here is so starting out when you released your very first book what was your expectation for it? Like, how did you think that first book was going to go? Hmm. Well, when I uh, put out Maggot Girl, um, I didn't think anything would happen, to be honest with you, because uh, I'd always wanted to write and I had written like younger, but more like poetry, you know, not even like really, really a lot of stories. I mean, I had some shorts, but like they all got lost in a parent's house fire and it was back when I didn't have, you know, no computer. So it was all gone and it kind of took the flame out of me. And um, so when I went about doing Maggot Girl, I uh, I don't know, I didn't, I thought it'd be like a fun exercise. Maybe a few people would read it. Um, I really didn't think anything would happen because I think a part of me being a new writer or I wouldn't even consider myself that then uh, I was like a faker or a tourist, you know? And I was like, eh, what do, what do I have? Why am I pretending to be a writer and coming up with something? So I knew I wrote something that I thought was viable and cool and like people would, would like it if they found it. But I didn't have back then, like, I don't know. I don't know if I didn't have aspirations to be like a full on writer. I just wanted to put something out that I that I would have liked to, to read or find as an extreme horror fan. And it kind of just became the little book that kept going, you know, it's, it's done very well. It's become more popular. I think now as I've done more work, people's gone back and found it. So, um, but yeah, uh, I'm really, I'm really proud of that. I worked really hard on that for, you know, it's not super long, but I didn't think for what it was, it needed to be. Um, so you didn't yeah. have any um, sort of numbers in your head or anything like that going in? No, like I said, I, I didn't <clears> even <throat> think uh, I didn't even think I would make a flip on the radar back then, to be honest. You know, um, I was really shy and I was really so critical uh, against myself. Uh, so I had already deemed in my head that it was not going to do good at all. But that's something that we should touch on uh, for like newer writers is you got to get out of that mindset of self uh, degradation, you know, um, that's just a bad mindset. 
and you know that could be detrimental to uh, an early career. But uh, no, I had no perceived expectations. I didn't know if only my friends would read it. You know, I had a few roster of like writer friends in the beginning, like Regina Watts and uh, Simon McCarty, like were integral, integral, and in, uh, helping me with that, and a few other people. But that was like really the infancy of like you know, I had reviewed tons of stuff, you know, but uh, I didn't really have connections per se, you know, mm. but I didn't, I didn't think much would happen. And, you know, it's definitely uh, made uh, Otis Bateman have a, a name in like the underground. So I'm always thankful for that first story. Nice. What about you, Judith? Did you have um, any kind of numbers in your mind or targets <laughs> I to didn't, hit? I didn't really have numbers i i kind of have two first books um the very first book that was published under my name was we have summoned and that came out with a small independent group called black bishop manuscripts which was run by two friends of mine um one from high school and one i'd become acquainted with uh, afterwards um and and they were a fledgling company. Uh, they're not around anymore. Um, and they they put out We Have Summoned uh, shortly after I'd had a uh, stay in a mental hospital. <laughs> um, I wrote that book immediately after um, a very tough time in my life, and so I I was more concerned with just getting the book out and then making any money off of it because I felt like I had a lot to say with it. Um, I published that with Black Bishop Manuscripts and then a year or two later, um, I published Repugnant on my own. And that was my first experience with self-publishing after I'd made small amounts of money off of We Have Summoned. Um, yeah. I, I had bigger expectations for Repugnant. I can't remember if I had exact numbers down, but I basically like used social media to try and pre-build an audience who would buy that book right when it came out. And it worked pretty well. Um, I, I won't say it was like, you know, a Stephen King level success or anything. But I was able to take my family out to dinner after I got my first paycheck from Amazon. And for me, that was that was plenty. Um, and it gave me that desire to just drive myself to write more and to do more and to reach more people. Um, so, yeah, nothing specific. But the first book and the, the not the second book I'd ever published, but the first one I self-published, there was kind of a difference in my attitude from what I'd learned in that time between them. Mm, see, when I put out my first, I wasn't, I didn't really have a number in mind because I didn't know what was good or not. So in my head, I was kind of like, oh, if I could sell 10 copies in the first month, like I'd be pretty happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, Yeah, I think I sold a couple more than that, maybe like 12 or something. But yeah, I think my expectations were quite low just because I didn't really know what I was going in on. And yeah. I spoke to a writer the other day and she told me that she'd sold like a hundred copies of a book, over a hundred copies of her book in the first like month or two. 
and she seemed just not disappointed but like she wasn't sure if that was a good number or not and i'm like that's amazing like that's a fantastic I'm number i'm like right. i still right. haven't sold that say. many copies of my first book oh, like, it still hasn't hit that so it's yeah i think like people don't quite know what the expectation is um yeah and i think my and advice I there would really just to kind of be you know to not have expectations i think for that first book just to yeah put all your focus on writing that first book and actually publishing it and have that feeling of publishing it and then kind of go from there rather than set your sights because it is very hard to judge I thought yeah yeah I agree with that especially like maybe if you weren't in such a niche community you know horror genre or if you were in a broader like say like a thriller or something like that I think that'd be even harder um Hmm. to kind of gauge what's a good amount for something like that you know yeah, because yeah, there's there's sort of a obvious difference in horror where it's like, oh yeah, we'll never be like Stephen King level, but like no one is. It's super cool to have this like right. corner that we can all call our own and we can all like thrive in. Right. <clears throat> but like yeah, in thrillers, you know, it's and I love thrillers. I love reading them. I love writing them. I want to write more kind of psychological thrillers someday down the road but like you know it's a it's a crazy genre to approach um right because no, it's just think, like how do i make a name for myself in this and it's yeah. really cool to see the books that do like uh you know i know colleen hoover usually does um romance books but she did one thriller which is verity and no one will shut up about verity <laughs> <laughs> I I really liked it I thought it was a fun book but like it's it's kind of cool to see something that feels like a 90s erotic thriller making waves in you know 2020 and till now even today people are still talking about it yeah do you think um so obviously like this conversation can be taken for any genre really we're all in extreme horror and splatterpunk but a lot of this can work with everything do you think it's an advantage to be in a niche as far as expectations go but we know that the extreme horror community why it's kind of you know gobbles the books up everyone reads everything all the time we also know there's a somewhat of a ceiling as to where you can get to within extreme horror as opposed to something like thriller where you know you could sell a million copies you could sell one copy like in extreme horror we know that you know there are certain numbers anything above a thousand or whatever is a massive hit within kind of a small niche. Yeah. Like, you know, it's such an interconnected and communicative, uh, communicative community. Um, and it's, it's easy to just like reach out immediately to the readers or for the readers to just immediately reach out to us. And so there's, Mm -hmm. There's kinship between writers, there's kinship between us and our audience, and that can be both a good thing and a bad thing, um, but like the, the positives so outweigh the negatives on that. And if we're talking numbers and selling books, it makes it so much easier to just put something out and immediately have it read and immediately have word spread about it, um, even if it's only read by a few people. But they'll talk about it. They won't shut up about it. <laughs> they'll they'll keep oh, your yeah. name on their mouth if they care about you. And that's 
that's vital to our survival. And it's something that like when people post about my books, even if they post something like critical of them, I, I want them to know that I appreciate it because that that pays my bills. That keeps me able to write. I see that conversation come up at times that people ask, like, should the authors of the book respond to like reviews and comments about their books? Yeah. Uh, and I think there are spaces where it's appropriate, spaces where it isn't. Um, I yeah. try not to respond to reviews on Goodreads because I see Goodreads as like, for the readers, um, if I spot a review that like genuinely touches me or makes me smile, I'll I'll send a quick thank you, but like I'll try not to be intrusive about it. Mm. Um, but like on Facebook, where there's like the the groups that are dedicated to just authors and readers talking about what they love and books, then if somebody like tags me in a review, I'll I'll let them know just how much I appreciate that. Yeah, same. I agree. Uh, Goodreads, very rarely. I've wrote, uh, wrote sometimes as a thank you, but it's pretty rare. I, I, I believe you are right on that one, Judith, where it's kind of like it's more for readers. And now that I'm a writer, it's like I shouldn't do that. But like Facebook groups, I good or bad, like I'll, I'll reach out to someone like I recently had someone like really critical about like ensuring your place in hell but they really like steven and they really like stewart's so all i did was write well thanks for for reading it blah 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 i didn't say like oh you dogged me out and they immediately <laughs> yeah. felt bad and i was like hey don't feel bad it was like i wrote that story and i knew it was going to be people are going to hate it or they're going to love it you know so i said no worries like don't be you don't have to be sad about that i was like just thanks for reading and talking about it you know that's how yeah, like I've I've had a few times where I've spotted like a critical review that was still like, you know, kind to the book and suggested it to people who would like it more than the reviewer did. Right. And I'm always hesitant to like respond to that because I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable or like they have to backpedal what they said. But yeah. yeah, there was one where I was like, hey, I just I really appreciate you talking about this book. It you know, it it spreads the word on it. It makes people interested in it. It sells it to the audience that will like it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's hard because like I think the the spaces on Facebook, since the authors are so active on there, um, people don't really criticize anybody on there, and that's totally fine because that's what that space is about. But I hate seeing when someone does criticize an author and they get dogpiled by the author's fans. Yeah. And it's like, if if you as an author cannot handle an ounce of criticism, then you need to write for yourself and you never need to publish. Exactly. I see quite a few times with those dogpiles, though. I've seen the authors step in and be like, hey, guys, like, it's fine. Like, yeah, they, that's, they that's always to enjoy the book. good to see. Um, yeah. I won't name names, but I've I've seen that a few times. But I've also seen instances, not just in Splatterpunk, but like way outside of it. This especially happens in the romantic genres, where the author is like, oh, I got a four-star review. Why didn't I get a five? Go kill this person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
what yeah. was it recently like oh, anyone listening don't fucking ever do that ever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> who was it like recently there was a, a it was that tiktok thing wasn't it got it was dropped by of, her publisher because yeah, she posted on twitter or something about giving was tic- a four-star yeah, it was review tic- it was tiktok it was one of her arcs got rid of gave her a four instead of five stars and that fucking turned into a giant thing and it wasn't even a bad review it was a really positive one no like, it's a four star reviews review. three star yeah. reviews those are fucking awesome like yeah yeah i mean the yeah. three and four star reviews tend to be the most honest ones so they're right. the ones you, you pay more attention to fucking some some of my favorite reviews are three star reviews and i think steven gave me one of them <laughs> like we would do a couple actually. And I'm like, I'm... yeah, no. Three star reviews, it's great because like we are working in an independent scene. We're we're not working with like all the bells and whistles of traditional publishing. Mm. I don't expect like perfection from these. I yeah. expect heart and I expect care. And yeah. to get like a three star review that acknowledges that is wonderful to me. Yeah, no, I've think... always I've always considered three star reviews good reviews. Like, I think yeah. three, four, five, they're all good. Like, I've given right. most kind of people within extreme horror at some point I've given them three stars, which means I really like their book. <laughs> but like the four and the five are reserved for books that I absolutely fucking loved, loved. Like Yeah, yeah. the books that you go back and reread and the books that you like yeah. hold to your heart, you know. <laughs> yeah. For a for a new person getting into it, that's just something you gotta you gotta shake that off like immediately. Um, you gotta grow that thick skin because once you start selling past your friends and you know you kind of make your way up that hump where you're kind of starting to make your name, you're gonna get people that don't know you from anything, and they're not gonna be like, "Well, I really like Otis. I'm gonna I'm gonna sugarcoat this." They're gonna be like. They're gonna read it as like just a person off the street, and they're gonna they'll they'll go hard. I mean, <laughs> Stephen can tell you I've gotten some horrible reviews in ensuring your place in hell, and you know half of them could be like my writing is just shit, or I triggered them or whatever. But you know what? You've got to grow that thick skin because you're gonna eventually, if you keep working at the craft, you're gonna get better. You're gonna get your name out there. The hard work is starting, you know, Mm. a lot of times when I was new, I would like, oh man, all these other people are like making a name for themselves. Why isn't my stuff making a name? And you know what? I wasn't putting in as much effort, you know, and it's like, you got a lot of work to do in being an indie writer, you know, and and the sooner you learn that, and the sooner you learn that eventually your friends aren't going to be the reviewers anymore. It's going to be, you know, whoever down the road like just a regular person and they're not going to know you and they're going to give a fair review if they didn't like your story you're going to know if they liked it you will but you know what some of the best reviews i had were tougher reviews because they didn't sugarcoat things you know i've had reviews from someone that said you know and they gave me a solid three and they said that you know and they didn't know who i was and they said that if i keep trying and working that i could they could see me as a very good writer and i'd like to believe that i'm on that way and i See, that's like a that good review to me i'd be happy yeah with that that's fantastic it was a very yeah. good review it was impassioned it was really long and they were in depth and they were like you know 
critical, but not like mean spirited with it. Yeah. And you know what? I took a lot of that to heart. And I think I thought that was like one of the best reviews I ever got, you know? I think with the, like, from my point of view, I kind of think the first bad review you get is a freebie. Like I let people off reacting to that. You know, the first time I got two stars, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, you know, I want answers mm -hmm. here. And like, it was just a two star with no review. So that was kind of a bit more annoying. <laughs> But then yeah. they added the review later, and I don't know if it's because they saw my reaction or not. Uh, if they did, then that's my bad. I shouldn't have reacted like that. But that first time, you do take it personally. Oh, I think yeah. it's hard not to. It's after that you realize it's not for you. It doesn't really count. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's for other people. It's for the readers. <clears throat> you know, yeah, and that people have different opinions. Like the books I'm... that you consider five-star classics, someone else considers a piece of shit, and that applies to your work as well. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the one of the first one star reviews I ever got is also one of my favorites, and it was for <laughs> Torture the Sinners, hmm. uh, which is currently out of print, but I'm I'm gonna bring it back fairly soon. Um, but like the the reviewer compared it to movies you see on Tubi, which have good covers and terrible <laughs> plots. <laughs> hey, I like Tubi. <laughs> And I love Tubi too, so that just that was a really good first bad review to have because it made me laugh and it made me smile, and I'm like, yeah, you know, this doesn't this doesn't affect me. <laughs> right. The minute and the I minute won't lie you... and say that there haven't been negative right. reviews that have you know affected me or made me feel bad. It happens. I think every author has. Oh yeah. Experience. We're not. But but especially if you're writing splatterpunk and you're writing something that is intended to offend, you yeah. can't act surprised when you write something that offends. <laughs> Correct. Very good point. You got to remember that. And you know what? That's that's partly you're doing a good job, you know? It's like if you wrote something that made someone so mad or whatever, then you're doing a good job, you know? Yeah, Don't some, of the, up, some you know? of the negative reviews for uh, No One Rides for Free are just great advertising. Oh yeah, <laughs> makes everyone want to just. I gotta check this book out. Why is everyone freaking out about this book? <laughs> I think the important thing with it, though, is to not get down on it. Right? Like you're you're going to get a bad review at some point, and, and it's almost yeah. a badge of honor. It means you're an author now. Like you know, yeah, you got a bad review. Welcome to the right. club. Like, like it's very easy to say in hindsight. Like water off a duck's back doesn't matter. It's not a problem. That first one does sting. It definitely yeah. stings. And then after and we're that, not saying, yeah, you realize you just carry on. We're not saying don't uh, feel bad about it, but, you know, maybe don't, just don't make it public, you know? It's like, yeah, don't <laughs> post yeah. about that shit. Don't yeah, post about just it. Don't post about it, but, or, or, or post it, like, to your friends in a private message, you know, like, oh, look See at that? this. That's where I went wrong. I posted, I, I because I was a dickhead at the time, I just posted it <laughs> and was like, you know, oh, I got a two-star review. Like, I wasn't angry about it. I was just like, oh, you know, I'd really like to know what yeah. they didn't like. And then when they wrote the review, they were like, you know, it was for Blood Sucked Wrestling. And they were like, they were like, mostly like they enjoyed it, but they didn't feel like I told them anything that was going on. Because in my head, I'm saving all that for the sequel. But I'm like, no, I probably didn't really reveal anything in that first book. So that's yeah. absolutely valid. Everything they said is right. Like, you know, I would prefer the free star because they still enjoyed it. But their criticism was fine. It was spot on. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have really brought this up, really. 
Yeah. And, you know, and this is what like this kind of video is about. We're going to, you know, break it down for people to kind of like, hopefully they can utilize this because, you know, there's not really, I mean, being an indie, we're kind of just thrown to the wolves and like kind of figuring out a lot on your own. And, you know, it's a lot of trial and error, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, useful <clears throat> tips out there, especially like maybe like with, with written in red podcast comes to mind and, you know, but a lot of things is just like, you got to see what works for you, for, for your brand, you know, because not everything like say Aaron or Daniel does is going to work for Otis, Steven and Judith. Same with, yeah. same with each of us, you know, you got to find out what works, it's trial and error. And then, and then you, you know, you, you, you tend to it and like grow it, you know, and, and, and go from there. So. And when, when we talk honestly about like mistakes we made, that's, to try and help other authors who are just getting into it, learn from us, learn from right. everyone that came before you and everybody that's around. Um, yeah. You know, one of the, one of the biggest things I've learned is like, you know, not announcing things before they're ready. <laughs> and I've, I've done that a lot. And then a project fall to pieces or I need to restart and it's going to take longer or it needs to be shelved so that I can get in the right headspace for it. And then I'll get messages from people wondering, oh, what happened to this book? And I'm like, it's still on my computer. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and I think a so, lot of us have done something that. <laughs> like, with something like that, then, do you feel obligated to do it? Or are you like, I'm not ready for it or it's never going to happen? Or are you like, oh, I said I was going to do it, so I do need to do it at some point? You know, and I I don't want to say yay or nay on either, because, like, um, there was a book that I wrote in 2018 and then set aside and forgot about. And then I recently found it again in my computer. And I'm reading through it, and I'm like, hey, this is a pretty all right story and I'm rewriting it. So like, I don't want to say like, Oh, I'm not doing that. Or I gave up on that because even if I did give up now, you know, five or 10 years later, it might come back to me. Yeah. So you don't feel like it has to be um, sort of like, if you said, Oh, this book's going to be next, but then something else comes up, you don't feel obligated that that book has to be next. You'd be like, no, actually, this yeah, is the thing I, I want think, to work on. And thankfully, because of how communicative the indie scene is, it's easy to tell people, hey, this this is getting pushed. This needs to happen first. Like, I, I was going to start for the sake of three um, this summer, and then I had a great and really fun mental health crisis. <laughs> um, and it sort of changed my priorities. And I was like, oh, I need to write they want us gone. I need to write about, you know, my my struggles as a trans woman on the internet and as a public figure. Like that's just more important to me right now. And I was able to do that and get that book out and when it needed to come out, which was during Pride Month. Yeah. What about you, Otis? Do you think like if you um, if you said you're gonna do something and then yeah. you're like, oh actually there's something else? That's one of my main veins uh, of a writer is uh, <laughs> too excited about stuff and like being new. And it's like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing the clown story. I'm doing recaputrification. It's like, ah. And the thing about being a writer is you get all these ideas. 
I get all these ideas every day and it's like, oh, nice, shiny new story. <laughs> yeah. And that takes precedence. Uh, I have had quite a few people ask about my clown story. Uh, I'm going to do it. I know some people are really looking forward to it. And they, they ask me like every other day or when they yeah, hear from me. It, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, just like Judith said, my priorities kind of uh, switch somewhat um, to a few different ideas of some stuff that like I'm kind of, I don't know, this sounds pretentious, maybe like Otis Bateman 2.0 like type of stories, you know? Um, so I don't know. Um, I'm definitely going to come back to it, but I definitely don't feel like I need to worry about it now if that answers the question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm with Judith. I'm never going to say no to something. Um, but at the end of the day, I got to I got to write what excites me and that I know I'm going to accomplish and I'm going to write it to the best of my ability. And that story was in a place. Something was going wrong with that story in my mind that I was not happy with it. And it slowly became a. a a slog writing it you know what mm. i mean so i said you know what i gotta switch gears you know i had the 10 day challenges i had uh like some other stories that i wanted to work on or some other concepts that like my dinosaur story that kind of got motivated by brian and judith doing theirs and that kind of excited me because i was which i'm so excited to read brian's <laughs> sequel to splattersaurus that cover looks insane it's so funny <laughs> That's such a cute cover. Yeah, it reminds Shout out me to of Rue. playing with dinosaur toys in like my front lawn when I was a kid. <laughs> like, yeah, no, so it's would super you say fun. The, um, so the takeaway really would be that if if you promise people you're going to do a book and then you're not really in the right headspace for it, it's okay not to do it. Like it's a yeah. it's too big of a commitment, isn't it? Writing a book that you're not really yeah it becomes it becomes it no longer becomes fun and <laughs> that's the main killer of creativity is when it becomes like a chore you know when it's writing think, should never feel like a job for the most part you should enjoy writing and when it I becomes the, that the main takeaway for me on this is just don't announce things <laughs> until you know they're happening because Amen. like i think using the internet we all kind of treat it as a diary and a stream of consciousness so it's like, oh, I got an idea. I should tell people about it. And like, yeah. we all need to just keep breaking Chill. away from that because, Chill out. you know, no, I don't, though, want, to, because I don't wanna... want to disappoint people. I don't no. want to disappoint readers. I, I, you know, they, they pay my bills. I, I want them to be happy. Um, so if I announce something that I can't like complete until later, I will feel bad about it, but hmm. If I didn't announce it early, then like I wouldn't have good. anything to feel bad about. <laughs> We'd yeah, be all good that... if we didn't just blab about it. But... Yeah, yeah. Said, so though, new, new writers. There's, there's that level of excitement, isn't there? Like you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm going to work on this now. I'm going to announce it, and people are going to start right. feeling amped about it. And then if you well, you get that, you get that good rush. You know, you get that good rush, immediate feedback, yeah. like, oh, you're doing that, great, you know. But it's yeah. like. You should definitely save that for your writer friends in private. Mm. Unless it's yeah. almost done or coming out, don't. Just take our word for it. Don't. Like, don't. Otis, Otis hears every idea I have before it's even an idea. Like, yep. <laughs> and same thing with Judith. And, you know, I, I tell her everything all the time. And, like, some things stick and some things fall off the wayside. But, you know, but that's what your writer friends are for. 
you know, <laughs> tell them, save, save the big news for your fans and readers when it's for real. You'll know when it's for real. When you get over 10,000 pages or words, I mean, you're good. That, that is, that is a story that's going to come out. You know, I was so, like, how long is Dino Gore? <laughs> oh man. It's, it's like a uh, three stands combined guys. Look out. Nice. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the, one of the early ones I announced, um, I was doing an interview with someone and they asked me what was next. And I was like, Oh, I'm doing this like, extreme horror dating sort of novel now and i was like fifty thousand words into it at the time and it's like oh. nearly a year ago now and i still haven't done it because the middle act wasn't working so i put it to one side it. and then everything else was falling into place so this book just got further and further and further <laughs> back and it's just because other ideas were forming better and it's like well you can wait six months for me to work this one out or you can have three other books in that time I just forget yeah. about that one for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I triggered a bunch of writers on Instagram one day when I posted on my stories, a video of me, um, deleting 30 pages out of a work in progress. Hmm. But like, if those 30 pages aren't working, I'm not going to write 30 more pages trying to fix it. I'm going to delete yeah. it. And then start that section over and get something that works. Because um, I'd rather the reader get, some, you know, I'd rather the reader wait and get something that they'll enjoy than get something that's incoherent and doesn't work. And the author acknowledges it doesn't work, but they released right. it anyways. Yeah, I've just done yeah. it on my new one. I've just, you know, kind of put two chapters into a different folder. I was like, no, I need to rewrite those like if it needs yeah. to be done it needs to be done there's no yeah like you can't be kind of um sort of possessive with it like yeah you know, if it hasn't even yeah you put time into it but right. ultimately this book's going to be around for the next 20 30 years or whatever you want it to be the best it can be mm -hmm. you know where yeah. i kind of learned that lesson from where's Was that it? american horror story and every season of American Horror Story has this problem where the first few episodes is all set up. And then the middle, they realize that they want to do something different than what they set up. And so they're actively retconning or changing or reconceptualizing what they've already set up. And then the ending just feels like a completely different series. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem with like the first few seasons, but it's definitely a problem with the later ones where like a character will monologue and be like, I know and I said and did this, but what I was really thinking and wanting to do was this. And it, it feels like, you know, you're reading a book and then the author got bored of it and wanted to write a different book. And rather than do that, they just changed the book they were writing as they wrote it. So with and, that, would you would you ever kind of put a release date out before you finish the book? Would you give yourself that deadline or would you always make sure the book's finished, it's edited, it's ready, now I'll work on the release process? Stephen, I, I created the 10-day challenge. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. 
I think you're insane for doing that, but yeah, yeah. other than your 10 day challenge. <laughs> no. Yeah. The, the, the whole 10 day challenge thing is that like, I'll have a vague idea of a book, but I start writing on the first day and it gets published by day 10. But like, you know, I, I've been very lucky that like those stories have worked for me and I haven't had to like fix anything, but like with the splatter at sea ones that, um, Otis and I were a part of hmm. the first two days of that challenge were really fucking hard for me because everything I wrote didn't feel right. It wasn't until day three that I actually had like the concept for what eels would be. And even though like I had written a bunch and I posted, oh, I have this word count. I would go back and delete those words the very next day and start from scratch. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy with what I ended up putting out for, for the 10 day challenge that time. But if I stuck with that first draft of eels, it would have been total garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the splatter at sea was very hard for me. Um, I wasn't happy with what I first did and I just had to reconceptualize like what Otis does and like what, what works. And when I did that, it clicked better. But when I, um, that one was a tough one. Uh, Medusa's son was easy for me. Um, but yeah, that was a tough one that drove me pretty insane. I didn't, I didn't post about how like freaked out I was with that, with that splatter at the sea, but man, I think all but, of us, for some reason, that one. That was, was a tough just, one. That was a tough one. We yeah. had uh, an author that, like, right when the 10-day challenge started, life got in the way, and he couldn't yeah. get around it. Like, there, there was just all sorts of stuff he needed to take care of and couldn't do it. And, like, had to drop out, and we had to get a new author to take his place. I think everybody was just, it, it was a tough time, but I'm really proud of what we all created with it. Like through I, that challenge, it was a genuine challenge that time. Yeah. That was a See, challenge. I would, yeah, I would struggle with that. I would struggle with that concept on the basis that, like, I don't really, I don't have a release date until I've written the script, sent it to the editor, uh -oh, the editor's Steven. edited, sent it back to oh, me. Steven. I think Stephen's gone. <laughs> oh, have I? Can you hear me? Oh, this. Are you there? Uh, Hello. What's going on? All right, Hi, you froze on us. <laughs> can everyone hear yeah. me? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, um, yeah. What I was saying is like, yeah. Until my book's edited, like I finished it, I've sent it to the editor. The editor's edited it, sent me the notes. I've changed all the stuff. Like then I'll work on a release date. Like anything before that, like feels like I'm putting extra pressure on myself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like these yeah. authors who kind of like say this book's coming out in you know four months times on this day like i i would really struggle with that like yeah yeah i uh i always and otis has heard the speech many times but i have a speech for doing that 10-day challenge and bringing in authors into it of like you're going to not have a good time you are going to really struggle you are going to you know cry over this <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to sugarcoat it for you. This is a challenge. It is not fun. You're going to be so satisfied when you get that novella published and yep. get it out there for people to read. But it is, it's a fucking jerk. <laughs> yeah. 
And I've had reviews for like, say, Medusa's Son that said they couldn't believe that that was like one of my best books. And it was done in so much pressure and time constraints. Hmm. And I was like, <laughs> I had to kind of agree because Medusa's Son's like one of my most popular books. And I like I, that book. Yeah. I'm really proud of that book. You know, I think it turned out great. But I think Evil evil rose up although slightly a cheat i think that that story turned out great as well and i really like yeah. it so I, I i applaud you for doing it because it totally knocked me out of my comfort zone but it also made me be super creative and prove that i could do it if i really need to you know yeah so yeah i'm forever in so, debt yeah that challenge i do not suggest it for author and i think there's authors that just will not thrive with it because they need that time to really sit down and engross themselves in it but you know it's like boot camp it puts you through it 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 shows you like you know how to tell a story with uh with what you got on you you know yeah. <laughs> exactly uh so changing the subject slightly then um what do you guys tend to do with shorts? I actually, Otis, I haven't really seen if you've done any short <laughs> stories, but, oh, but man. what would you, would you, um, so kind of the options would be you release a short on its own, or do you put it as part of a collection? Do you yeah. send it to anthologies? Like what, if you write a, like a really good 3000 word short, what would you look to do with it? I think what I would look to do with it is, um, I'd probably save it. I eventually want to do a collection, you know, of uh, short, shorter stories. Um, as of right now, I have no no real interest in trying to put my stuff in anthologies. I've just been enjoying what I do has been working for me now. Um, I think that'll come eventually once my name becomes maybe bigger um, and I get better at the craft of writing. But like I tried my hand at a few short stories and I wasn't very good at them. I think uh, I think uh, home movies from hell turned out really well, um, but the few I wrote before that, I, I wasn't happy with. Um, I get too wordy, I think, and uh, I like I like the structure of the novella. Right now, um, the next book I'm doing is going to be longer, uh, maybe a little bit longer than uh, Maggot Girl Three, but. Uh, I've been happy with the novella link, but yeah, I would definitely, I'm definitely going to do a, a, a short story collection down the road. Um, I just don't know when, but yeah. yeah I, love short stories. Um, I, so like when I first started writing, I was, I was a literal child. Um, the first story I ever wrote was basically a rewrite of Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. Um, and then I did like uh, a fucking awful fantasy series until <laughs> I want to say like sixth grade. And that was when I discovered Michael Crichton and I started wanting to write like Jurassic Park type books. And then in seventh and eighth grade, I had an English teacher who got me into Ray Bradbury and Stephen King short fiction. And that was probably the best thing for my developmental writing that anyone could have done for me. Because when you start, especially as like a child who wants to write, 
your ambition is going to outmatch your skill. And to do a short story is to whittle that ambition down into something bite-sized that, you know, you can sit down and work on and make readable and read aloud to people and read to your parents and read to your friends and they'll actually pay attention to it. And, you know, if, if you've got a good group around you, they'll, they'll give you uh, criticism on it, allow you to hone yourself into being a better writer. So when I fell in love with horror was also when I fell in love with short stories. And so my first experiences with horror were in short form. And I, I wrote voraciously when I was in middle school. Um, around like Halloween, there was like a short story contest that our English department did. And I wrote short stories for other students just because I wanted to put as many out there as I could. <laughs> Um, which was cheating and definitely not the right thing to do. <laughs> but I just wanted to write short stories. Um, so I, I stuck with that. I, I did short stories long before I ever tried doing horror novels. And I never completed any horror novels until uh, We Have Summoned, um, which was the first novel that ever got published. And it got published before any of the short stories I wrote because all of those were developmental and none of them are ever going to see the light of day as they are now. But, you know, those are ideas that I can now take and with the skills I've learned, I can reuse. Um, in Toxic, there's a short story in it called Sally. And that was one I wrote and read aloud in an English class when I was in middle school. Um, so I love short fiction. I, I'm very attached to it. And um, I, I think sometimes I prefer it over, over novels, which is why I release so many collections and uh, so many things like I'm Your Papa or They Want Us Gone or Toxic, things like that. So what... Um... So, like, if you had a good short story that's a few thousand words now, would you consider putting it on something like Amazon? Or would you yeah, save um, it for a collection? I, I would always suggest kind of doing a collection, which I'm Your Papa is three mm. stories in one. It's a skinny little collection. It's cheap. People can read it in two hours. Um, but then I also have collections like Toxic, which are about, like, nine or ten stories, I think, are in that one. Um, but like, there's, there's a lot of authors I know who have found success putting short stories out as like a single work. Um, mm -hmm. like what comes to mind right out the gate is, uh, Patrick C. Harrison, the third's 100% match, which I, I think he was actually kind of nervous about putting that out because it's such a short piece. Um, and he didn't know if like, oh, if, if I put this out, do you think people would feel like they wasted money on something so small? And I think it's one of his most popular books now that it came out. Um, I wouldn't say that's a short. I think like, yeah, it's like somewhere between it, novelette and novella. I don't think I would it's, it I would say it's right beneath being a novelette. It's, it's still a very short story. You can read that thing no time at all. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think it was that, around uh, 70, 70 pages or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. I remember it being yeah. a bit longer than that. Yeah. But it's also like yeah. it's smaller than mass market size. It's like a palm-sized book. <laughs> yeah. 
I got I got that in the mail and like had to laugh when I saw the size of it. I was like, oh, it's so cute. It's so it's little. so adorable. Yeah, and then it's it so was nasty when you read it. <laughs> nasty, but no, yeah, but... I mean, like, there's there's just so many options with short stories. I think, uh, you know, I you enter into anthologies if if your name gets popular enough, you get invited to anthologies. Yeah, uh, you also have to learn to say no, <laughs> um, which is another mistake I've made of just like accepting too many invitations and then having to back out of a few of them when I just couldn't get a short story to them. Um, but yeah, I've had, I've had stories appear in collections like uh, Kevin J. Kennedy's horror collection, the lost edition. Um, I got in ooze, the little bursts of body horror and recently a charity anthology called we're here, which is all for a, uh, the benefit of the Trevor project and LGBTQ writers. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's really neat to see like, Oh, I share a table of contents with Ed Lee. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> like, True. You know, Very the, the little kid that read anthologies voraciously when I was learning what horror was like is tap dancing right now to have so, had that opportunity. So, so it's a I, kind of um, reassurance for like a newer writer, like yeah. it's okay to say no to invitations to anthology. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, I'd, I'd actually suggest practicing. It's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah, like I have to be very selective because I I have such a busy schedule. I'm always doing so many things, and then if I'm accepting every invitation that comes along my way, that that pushes aside you know other things that. Yeah. Um, I'm more passionate about, but yeah, I've got a few that I'm doing right now that I'm very, very excited for. Um, but you know, yeah, like a lot of people, I think they they try and make money off of short stories. Um, mm. And I hate saying do it for exposure, but you know, exposure goes a long way to your brand. Um, there's there's short stories I've sold for twenty dollars. There's short stories I've sold for a hundred dollars. And either way, it gets people reading me. So, you know, like try and try and put your name out there. Try and get involved. Yeah, I think it's an interesting balance to short stories. Like I've I've only been in one anthology. I've done one collaboration because it's it is a bit of a time suck. You can kind of get drawn into it when you're like, oh, I've got all my other my own pieces to do. But you know, if I do this for someone else. It might get me more exposure or I can release my own book, which might get me more money or more recognition. Like it's, I don't think it's um, one of those things with a particularly right answer to it, but I think it's important that people know you can decline invitations for yeah. anthologies and for, and that you can put your shorts together in a collection. You know, you don't have to just write something and instantly put it out. You can sit on it and make it part of something bigger if you want, like, I mean, there's a lot you can yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, saying yes to everything is the easiest way to, like, speed run your career to burnout. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that works well for sure. And any author will tell you that. Like, I went to KillerCon, and that was, like, the main piece of advice, I think, that uh, John Skip had was he was, like, just don't say yes to everything. Do not wear yourself out. 
definitely. Um, so yeah, again, changing the subject a bit here. What's your early on versus now? Like if you're starting off as a, as a new writer, like obviously you want to put a lot of attention into your covers, but there's kind of like the price you expect versus the expectation of it and finding the right sort of people for covers. Like how do you kind of go about the process of finding the right cover for your book and balancing that against it? You know, not you not having to sell 500 copies just to cover that. Yeah. It's, you know, when I started, I, uh, I did pre-made covers from some website that I found and, mm -hmm. and they worked, they did fine. Um, but a lot of those books I've, I've taken out of print on those versions because I just, I got connections with, uh, artists, friends, and people who were willing to create custom covers. And I wanted that to represent the work more than, you know, something I bought off some website. Um, and actually like hiring artists was cheaper than that website was, um, way more affordable and, I think like the new cover for Repugnant, the new cover for uh, Low Blasphemy, which I haven't shown yet, but um, uh, yeah, all the things that like uh, Christy Aldridge and Ruth Anna Evans and Ash Eric Moore did a cover for me. Like it's, it's incredible to work with real artists who want to help you sell books um rather than just like a program online where you're buying something that was cobbled together by somebody you don't know who doesn't know you're writing so i would suggest to new artists uh, to new authors to find those artists because that that human touch really helps <laughs> um and especially with uh with how tempted everybody is by by ai right now it's like it's people can tell when there's actual like heart and humanity put into a cover even if it's made out of stock imagery like uh ruth anna evans made the splatter saurus cover off of stock imagery and i couldn't think of a more perfect cover to encapsulate that book she understood it needed to look cheesy it needed to look like a spoof it needed to remind people of like the sci-fi channel original dinosaur movies and she fucking nailed it <laughs> Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. What about you? So, I would like... say it's, you know, it might feel a little bit more costly, but in the long run, hiring an artist will go a long way for you. Yeah. I mean, like Otis, you must have, I'm guessing oh, those Magic Girl ones had to be custom. So you must yeah. have been paying a bit straight off the bat, yeah. not knowing how the book's going to go. Like, no. Would you, do, would you do that again? Like, no. I don't, I don't know if I would or not, because like I was insane about it because when I was coming up with the concept of maggot girl and you nailed it perfectly in your reviews of how it's like this hyper, like anime style. And I was like, it has to be anime. And I want someone <laughs> from Japan <laughs> to, to, to draw this. So I reached out to like an artist that I really liked. Uh, she was from Japan and that ended up being like, Maggot Girl 1 was like $300 for that cover. I'm not even kidding. Um, but at that time, I was like, well, you know, if I only do one, you know, I want it to look amazing and I want it to be striking. And, you know, I talked myself into doing it and I had the funds at the time. And so I did it. 
and I kind of did the same thing on <laughs> the next two uh, Maggot Girl books. I reached out to Japanese artists that did, you know, did manga or Goro art, which is like what I epitomized like Maggot Girl series. But after that, I kind of reeled back and because uh, that's going to make your book really hard to be successful. You know, that's putting you in a hole right off the bat, you know, and I found people through trial and error and like through other art, you know, writers like, like Grim Poppy, which is, you know, Christy, Ruth, you know, all these other people through other, you know, you know, authors and reached out to them and like, hey, you know, I started with some pre-mades, but I've also started branching out into like custom and you know, you just gotta, you, you just gotta kind of trial and error. Like, I wouldn't say blow your bank on your first book, but I get like how you would want it to look amazing. Like, I get that. But uh, you got to find that balance. And like, when you're new, you probably have a tendency to if you had the money, like, okay, I'm gonna go for it. But, you know, that's the line that they've got to make. But I would suggest shopping around and just, um, there's plenty of people out there um, you know, you got any questions, you know, we're, we're obviously people that you can reach out to and talk to. I've always been like an open book. Um, but yeah, uh, I would suggest finding a happy medium, maybe, you know, you get yeah. bigger, start splurging, but like you can find top quality work for reasonable prices, you know, yeah. without blowing the bank. And, and there's, there's a lot of artists right now who are just passionate about yeah. books and one want to have a part in it and like obviously they deserve fair payment but they'll make it affordable like right they'll, yeah, they'll my, do uh, payment plans and everything you know yeah most, just, most, most people yeah i went the wrong way around with it like my first two books are fully custom and they look great i fucking love the covers on both of them but it took me so long to make my money back on those books because there's yeah. nobody like nobody knew who i was nobody was reading my work like if I spend that money on a cover now, I would probably make the money back relatively quickly. Like not a big profit or anything, but I would cover the expenses quickly enough. But like now where I use a mixture of pre-made and customs, I can manage it a lot better. Like going back, I probably wouldn't have spent that much on those first two covers, even despite the fact that I love them both. And I think they're two of the covers that stick out the most. But yeah, they fucking put me in a hole for a while because yeah. <laughs> it takes a while to make that money back to begin with. But, you know, writing, releasing a book is an investment. And like, I see so many authors who just flame out after their first book because mm -hmm. they didn't immediately make money or find success with it. It took me like nine to 10 books before I started making a consistent amount of money and that was a small amount of money that i was making consistently and you know you gotta persevere through that you gotta work through that um but like if if you find success then then those covers will be paid off and mm -hmm. people will go back and look at those books and go, those are amazing covers i love this <laughs> i want that on my shelf like give it to me right now <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oddly, yeah. my first book's still the one in a hole. Like, the rest have all made yeah. money now. The first book still hasn't, but it's it's a cover that I love, and it's a book that I love, and I know one day it will make its money back. But 
yeah, it would have easily to be like after that first book, be like, oh shit, I'm a few hundred quid down. Like maybe this isn't for me. But they like said, as you kind of go, as you've got more titles out, you do start to make the money back a bit quicker and make a little bit of a profit and can reinvest yeah. into covers better. Yeah. Um, but Judith, I, you've started um, you've started recovering, like redesigning some of your covers. Like, what made you? Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the ones that are pre-made, or a lot of the books that just didn't sell at all, and were consistently just not making money. Um, my my philosophy is like, it's not the reader's fault if I'm not selling book. Um, I I didn't present it right, or I didn't market it right, or I need to go back and you know make it shine a bit more so like low blast me is a book that you know it's a bigger ambitious book it's it's got splatterpunk elements but it's more traditionally horror and i i released it while i was busy with a lot of other things and so it just kind of dropped onto amazon and then didn't really get the the proper treatment that i think it deserved so that it can find an audience so uh, five months later, when it's only selling like two copies a month, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't working. I took it out of print and um, I've had it re-edited. I haven't changed the story at all, but I think it feels and looks a lot better now. Um, and I've, I've gotten it to a publisher who's going to help market it. Um, I, we haven't announced it yet, so I'm not, I'm not going to say, but like, I'm very excited for re-releasing Low Blasphemy, and I, I hope that it's uh, a lot more embraced than I had allowed it to be when I first put it out. Um, and there are other books that I'm just like, you know, I, I bought the cover from a pre-made site. It doesn't, it doesn't have as much heart for me, like, even though it's a cool cover, and I know it doesn't you know that won't translate to readers but like for me i'm like i really want to sit down with an artist and have them craft something that fits the book like repugnant um the original cover was just some zombie girl that i grabbed off of a pre-made site and she looks really cool and she grabs your eyes but she's she doesn't really fit with the story of it um so i sat with christy aldridge we designed a cover based on the scene in the book where the killer decapitates a guy, puts his head in the toilet, and then takes a shit on it. <laughs> and <laughs> I love that new cover so much because it genuinely feels like it came from the book and wasn't just something that I grabbed that I hoped would grab eyes, you know. <laughs> and that's why customs are so important, you know. Because you can work with, like, say, Christy, which, you know, I've done numerous times. And we're working on a project now that I think is, she totally got it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to knock people's socks off. Uh, but, yeah, I think going the custom route, uh, when you find an artist that, like, you connect with, like, you can mind meld. It's, like, funny, like, with, like what Judas was saying, like, with Christy, like, she just gets my input. And, like, nearly every time it's perfect like the rough you know the rough draft she sends me it's like that's amazing that's exactly what i was thinking so it's really kind of special and i think it's a nice bond you can also make uh in 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 the indie uh, horror world too and i think the fans will really get a bang out of that like okay I, that scene's in the book you know versus 
well, what's this pre-made exactly, you know, about, so, you know, I agree a hundred percent, like find someone yeah. that you uh, connect with and that you like, and like, do that, you know, do that work. It's, it's worth it. I think when, my, um... my personal favorite, like art project that I've had done was uh, my, my queer collection. They won us gone because Christy did the cover for that. And it's, it's, gorgeous it's the two skeleton hands and one is colored like the pride flag mm -hmm. but then ruth anna evans did the interior artwork for it and she she used stock imagery and uh collages and she used digital painting to like build these fresh new images out of you know previous photographs and things and it, it fits the book so well. And I, I catch myself just going through it and looking at those pages and then flipping towards the cover and then looking through the, the pictures. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it was so worth it to have both of them collaborate to make that book look the way it does. So if you were um, starting off as well, I'll check this one for Otis, because I know the answer to why. Um, do you recommend stockpiling covers? Like if you see pre-made and you think I've got a story that's kind of going to fit that, do you think it's worth kind of investing in those covers then and then, or do you think it's better off waiting until you're actually writing those stories? Mm, that one's a, that one's a little bit of a tough one for me. Cause I, I had a, a tendency to do that a lot, uh, <laughs> stockpiling covers. Cause, um, the way my brain works sometimes is I can get a good, good idea from like a pre-made and make it work, but it's a double-edged sword, I think. Uh, I like having an abundance of covers that like, if something's not working, I can go through my, you know, my files and be like, all right, well, I can work on this. I like having options when it comes to writing, especially as I'm getting, you know, quicker and I can do a turnaround a little bit better now than I did in the past. Um, so, I say go for it if you want to stockpile some that are reasonably priced. I'm not saying stockpile hella <laughs> expensive ones, but yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I like the options like, all right, this story ain't working. Uh, this looks cool. Let's go with this. And I, I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, within your budget, of course, don't, don't go mm -hmm. without food or anything, you know, or gas for your car obviously, but yeah, I'd say go for it. I mean, that's just how my brain works though. Um, some people so might not work for it. So you see it more as an option rather than the pressure of I've brought this cover. So now I've got to, I've got no, to do No, I never feel it. like that. I've got some, some covers that are over a year old and I'm not one bit sad. I bought them. Um, they, they're ready to go for like it. And, and if I don't ever use it, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm glad I did it at the time. I have no problem with it. I helped the I helped the fellow artist, and you know it's there. You know if I ever want to write it, you know at the time I thought I can see a good story out of this, you know. And, and most of those I bought, I still can. It's just as I've grown, uh, maybe my what I want out of what my writing has evolved. I guess is a good word. So I may not go to some of those, but there's still quite a few. I find value in, and I think that can make a really good story still. So I'd say uh, if it's in your budget and you're, you have that type of brain, uh, stockpiling in some, you know, you know, work is not a bad idea. You know, I like options.
What about so, you, Judith? Do you stockpile covers or do you buy them ready for the? I, I used to, time? but nowadays I'm just I I really like the collaborative custom approach. Um, so I like to have a bit of the story down before I approach Christy or Ruth and tell them like, hey, this is the vision I have for it. I need a cover that specifically matches this vision. Um, so I, I think it's just like a different approach than, than Otis, but I think both are valid. I think sometimes it's nice to have like an image that can kickstart the story. But for me, I just usually want to have a story before anything's made. Um, but like I, I started one the other day and I'm I'm about 30 pages in and I already contacted Christy and I'm like, oh, I've got an idea for you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the cover I'm going to pay you for. She's yeah, like, see, oh, I, here we go. <laughs> I mostly, I mostly kind of sort the covers towards the end of the story. Like if the story is kind of done, then I'll start looking at the covers. Yeah. But occasionally, like, I don't know, if I see a pre made that it just absolutely blows me away, I'm like, oh, I, I need to have You want to get that before someone else does. Yeah, I need to. Exactly. Yeah. I don't I do think it the often. only times I have a cover before the story is when I do the, the 10 day challenges. And that's just because yeah. we want to make sure we have those covers um, beforehand so that, you know, Christy isn't overworked during that period of time. Yeah, see, like, my new one that's just coming out soon, like, my Vengeance one, like, I saw the cover for that, and I was like, absolutely have to have this cover. And I, I had this idea for this story sort of brewing, but the minute I saw that cover and I was like, I need to buy that cover, that then made me kind of skip ahead and write this story next over some other things because yeah. I didn't yeah. really want to sit on it for too long. But at the same time, I was like, okay, now I felt like, you know, oh, I should write this story now. Like that cover's just come up, it's right there, it fits the idea I've got, so it's kind of time yeah. to skip it ahead of the queue. Yeah. And it could be it could be a good uh, you know, motivator to, you know, for some creative juices to start flowing, you know. I yeah. I have no problem with it, but I can see like both sides and I do love my customs now, but I do also like that that I can come up with something from a pre made and make that pre made and actually semi you know custom quote unquote because i was like i can see that scene in my brain right now and i i'm gonna you know i can write that scene out so yeah, yeah. uh a little bit of both i think uh can go a long way with uh especially a new writer you know yeah i think so i think it's just yeah i don't mind the idea of kind of stockpiling them but i just you know for me i've never been able yeah. to afford it but that's I will just always... my that's just my crazy hoarding brain yeah. But I always, and of course, for for new writers, comes no matter out. what we say, always keep your finances in mind. You never want to go overboard. It it is an investment. It is something that you might not make money back on instantly. You have to work to get to that point. But like, you know, no one wants to be a starving artist in twenty twenty three. Like, 